0: And that is all for Spotlight. So today, guest speaker. We have a guest speaker in today, uh, special guest, Drew Melton. Drew and his family moved from Palm Beach, Florida, to Vancouver three weeks ago. Um, and I heard of them because Brittany uh, got a position at Regent College as a new associate professor of the Old Testament. Um, Drew has postgraduate degrees in biblical studies and early Christianity, and he's currently getting his doctorate in homiletics at Duke. And so he has served as a teaching pastor at Memorial Presbyterian Church in Palm Beach. And so it is my pleasure to have you join us this week to preach. Uh, Pilgrim, would you join and help me welcome Drew Melton? Thanks Joshua. Good morning. Good morning. It's, um, it's very good to be here with you. Um, I want to first rush to thank Joshua for the invitation to uh, preach today. It's always a risk to ask someone to preach that you don't know very well. Um, And I I know that, I see that, Um, so I I really thank you. Um, As Joshua said, my family and I have just arrived in Vancouver, basically. Um, And so after uh, what has seemed like weeks of traveling across most of North America, um, let me see if I can orient this for you. South Florida way down here and Vancouver way up here, we drove. Over a series of weeks, we stopped. It wasn't like straight through, and it actually was a, a pretty good time for our family. But um, in our previous life in Florida, I was a teaching pastor, but it's been a lot of weeks since I preached or taught. Um, and so it's really good um, to be with you here this morning. Um, let's reflect together on uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture Psalm 23. This is from the New International Version. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A little more than 10 years ago, 2013, uh, I was waking up in a hotel room in Rome, Italy, uh, preparing for the 8 a.m. start of the Rome Marathon. For a couple of years, I had gotten more and more obsessed with long-distance running. I read the books. I followed the athletes, I started random conversations about how running shoes were ruining our feet, and we were all supposed to be running barefoot. It was obnoxious. (laughs) I'm still pretty obsessed, but having young kids and working and being in school makes long-distance running a little bit difficult to maintain. But when you're training for a marathon, you have to do a lot of long training runs, And the purpose of those runs is not just to build up your strength and stamina. It's also to dial in what kind of hydration and nutrition you need to sustain that kind of running. The thing is, if you exert the kind of energy and burn the kind of calories in long-distance running without replenishing at all you'll start to lose your mind before your body stops running. It's sort of like horses that will run themselves to death, but humans won't run themselves to death. We just run ourselves into really bad decisions. So the end result is things like people passing out and banging their head on the concrete or breaking an arm or a shoulder. One of the techniques that trainers use to tell you um, to see if you've got enough calorie reserve to keep running is to recite something you have memorized. So the idea is if you can focus well enough to recall something from memory and say it out loud, then you've got enough calorie reserve to keep running without passing out, without falling over. My memory text is Psalm 23. I'm sure I looked like a crazy person from some distance running sect of monks. But there I was, mile 17, mile 19, mile 21, saying Psalm 23 out loud just to make sure my body was still functioning and I could keep running safely. As we've traveled as a family over the last several weeks, it strikes me that Psalm 23 provides a similar kind of anchor to any kind of journey, even the journey of life. When we look closely at the 23rd Psalm, when we attend to its language when we follow its imagery, the Psalm itself is a journey. It shows us a very human journey, but through the eyes of a sheep. And when the road is long, winding, pitted with dangers, bogged with grief, with enemies and temptations threatening either side, and we're not sure if we can go on or if it would be safe to go on, we need something to cling to. Psalm 23 isn't just a text to cling to, to memorize and recall to mind. It points us to the one we can cling to. The Lord is my shepherd. At the outset of the psalm, we're thrust into this role of sheep. Or rather, we witness the psalmist putting himself in the role of the sheep. The psalmist who very well could have been a shepherd himself reverses his role and makes himself a sheep. But the role of the shepherd is not just to sit on the gate and make sure that the sheep don't get their heads stuck in the gaps in the fences. The shepherd takes the sheep to pasture. The shepherd opens the gate and begins the journey. The Lord is the one pasturing me. I shall not want. Because this is the Lord's journey, because I am a helpless sheep, Helpless to provide anything for myself. Helpless to get myself out of trouble. To fend off attackers. To make it to the end of the journey alive. The Lord will provide everything I need. So we rush around more like squirrels than like sheep. Trying to prepare, trying to store up trying to make sure we have everything we need for the journey before we set out. But we've forgotten where our help comes from. We've forgotten that when the gate opens, we simply wander out, trusting that on this journey, all will be provided. I will never go without. The Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The grass and the stream are examples of the lack of wanting. There is food for the journey. There is water for the journey. But as the Lord gently opened the gate to begin this journey, the language here is invitational. He doesn't make us lie down in terms of force or compulsion. This is an irresistible invitation to go on a journey to a good place where there is grass sustained year by year by the rains from heaven. Where there is water that is peaceful, undisturbed by predators, so there's time to eat and drink. When was the last time you sat in peace and ate and drank slowly? When was the last time eating and drinking was more than just fuel for the highway we're speeding down? When was the last time you rested and your life was restored? He guides me along paths of righteousness Paths of justice, wagon tracks of fair dealing, as one translator puts it. Wagon tracks of fair dealing. For the sake of his name. In the ancient world, your name represented the deepest rooted notion of your identity. Who you were was summed up in your name. All your relations, your actions, your integrity or lack thereof, was all rolled into your name. So the sense in these phrases is that if we sheep were being led along any other paths, paths of injustice, paths of greed, paths of Fear, if we were led along any of those paths, then the Lord would not be who he is. He guides me along paths of righteousness because of who he is, because the Lord is Yahweh. Even when those paths lead into the shadow of the valley of death. If the Lord is our shepherd, and the Lord is our shepherd, there's nothing to fear. We know from every kind of storytelling that a journey marked only by green pastures and peaceful waters is A, unrealistic, and B, boring. So at this point, in the journey of the 23rd Psalm, chaos is introduced the thunderclouds start to gather overhead the wind begins whipping through the valley that we've descended into the air grows cold and it becomes a little bit harder to breathe but for some reason there's nothing to fear The evil that the darkness represents will not overwhelm because the shepherd is with us. In the Hebrew poetry here, even the grammar reflects the closeness, the reason not to fear. See, there's no verb in the phrase, I will fear no evil. In the Hebrew, it's simply for you, is one word in Hebrew, with me, one word in Hebrew, for you, with me. There isn't even any grammatical space between the shepherd's presence and ours. The Lord is that close. And so even if evil tries something, if the mountain lion or the bear try to prey on the sheep. The shepherd carries a rod and a staff. The rod was a weapon with a blunt end meant to beat away predators. The staff was a a crook meant to pull a sheep back from the edge of a cliff. These are not instruments of discipline. They're instruments of comfort. Instruments of fear, perhaps, for any who would harm the sheep. But for the sheep, assurances of safety. So then when the psalmist has affirmed who is leading this journey, the peaceful, just path that this road takes, And recognize that even when the path is treacherous, the shepherd still leads as he walks by our side. Then we realize the destination. The place this journey leads to. And here the psalmist's audience changes. No longer is the psalm addressed to the listener, but to God directly. You Prepare a table before me. The banquet table is the place where the shepherd leads us. At the end of a long journey, God is the hospitable host of a meal for the weary. And notice, this meal doesn't even mark the end of potential dangers. Here at this meal, the enemy still lurks directly across the table. But even with the continued presence of the enemy, this is a meal of celebration and abundance. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Anoint is actually maybe too minimal a term. A better translation might be bathe. There is an excess of oil and it's being used excessively. And the imagery of abundance doesn't stop there. It extends to the cup, which isn't so much overflowing as being filled and refilled and never runs dry. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't really care to drink from an overflowing cup. That sounds like a mess. But a cup that is filled and refilled and refilled because there's always enough and plenty more, that sounds like the kingdom of heaven. This host, our God, to whom belongs Every grove of olive trees and every vineyard is extravagantly generous at this destination meal. This is where we belong. But then why can't we be content at the table? Why don't we stay? Why won't we rest here in this place of belonging? We've been led on this journey through green pastures and still waters. Even though the valley of the shadow of death looms in our minds, we've been led to this banquet table. So why do we get up? and walk away. That's what it seems to me is happening in the final verse of this psalm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Follow me? Where am I going? I'm supposed to be at the table. There I go. Because I'm restless. Because I'm wandering. Because I'm like a sheep. We are a restless, wandering people. Or maybe, maybe we just have to get up. Maybe the table is both a place of arrival and a place of sending. So every time we get up from the table, whether we've gotten up because we're restless and wandering, because we can't sit still, or we've gotten up just because we've come to the table and now we've been sent again, every time we get up from the table, goodness and mercy follow after us chasing us down, doggedly pursuing us for all our days to bring us again and again back home to the house of the Lord forever. So whether we're running more miles than seems sensible or living through circumstances unplanned or even unimaginable, This is our anchor for the journey. Not just this psalm or any one individual piece of scripture, but the one to whom this psalm and every scripture opens us, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, Jesus embodies this psalm. He is the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd. He knows his sheep and they recognize his voice. He sits us down on luscious green grass and restores our life with an impossible feast of bread and fish right in the heart of Roman occupied territory. Later that meal, that feeding of 5000 take on even more significance as Jesus shared a table with his disciples, that they might understand the valley he was about to walk through. He walks the most literal valley of death imaginable, just so he can show us how with us he is. Just how Emmanuel he is. Because his name is at stake. He would not be who he is if he did not do all of this. If he did not in the end let himself be slaughtered like a sheep. But this he does that he might go and prepare a place for us. A place in the house of the Lord where hospitality and generosity and abundance will once and forever claim our lives. As a closing reflection, I want to offer to you a translation of the 23rd Psalm from a, a translator, a biblical scholar named Sarah Rudin. I've drawn on many of her ideas in thinking about this psalm and in writing this sermon. So the words are going to be on the screens either side here. and We're going to go through them slowly. I encourage you to take a few moments, read slowly, reflect on this before we close in prayer. God, as we prepare our hearts to gather at your table, this communion table that both draws us in and points us to the banquet table in your kingdom, this table that is both a place of arrival and a place of sending. We pray you would make us at home here. Draw us toward one another and toward you at this table. We ask in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.